Church, we were made for this. I hope you're full this morning. If you're really thinking about the words of the songs, I mean, you can't help but to just be overwhelmed by the goodness and the grace and the love of God as we sing these praises unto Him. He will hold me fast. If my salvation was dependent on me, I'd be in much, much trouble. I would have no hope. I can't earn it, but if I experience it, I will begin to show evidence of my salvation. God gave us a whole book in the Bible graciously so that we could have that assurance of salvation, to know that we're saved, to know that we know that we know that we're in the family of God, that we are covered by the blood of Christ, and that when we stand at the entrance of heaven, we'll hear those words, enter in and not depart from me, for I never knew you. Open your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We're going to read kind of a lengthy amount of verses. We're going to go through chapter 3 and verse 10 this morning. So let's stand and follow along as I read. 1 John beginning chapter 2 verse 28. And now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God? And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away, his, take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother." You may be seated. I have a dear friend and his family who are visiting from out of town. He's a pastor in the Raleigh area, Scott Downs. Would you pray for our church family at Lawndale today, Scott? Father, we do thank you for your goodness and your love for us. That you sent your one and only son to come and pay a sin debt we could never pay. Father, we glorify you this morning in this place. Lord, use Lawndale here in Greensboro, North Carolina to glorify you and bring souls in your kingdoms. Father, we again thank you for 
allowing us to gather as the body of Christ together this morning. Use this time to glorify yourself. Draw us closer to you that we may be better disciples for you. Praise in Jesus' name and in his name alone. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Scott. So if we're going to think about this idea of if we've experienced salvation and there's evidence of it, this book, 1 John, just gives us all these different evidences. And so one evidence is if you practice righteousness. If you practice righteousness. Now, let's think about this word for just a moment. What is righteousness? I think there are ways that that word can be taken in a negative sense. In the world, when people think about righteousness, sometimes they associate it with self-righteousness. So it has negative connotations. It, it can't be good. You must think you're better than someone else, or you're holier than thou. And you, you get those kind of accusations, and sometimes those kind of thoughts when you think about righteousness. But what I want you to see today is that righteousness is good. We should love it. Because it describes who God is. God is righteous. We should love it. We should desire to be more righteous. We should seek after God and His righteousness. And so let's get a working definition. Our good friend Wayne Grudem in Systematic Theology, he wrote this. God's righteousness means that God always acts in accordance with what is right and is Himself the final standard of what is right. How do we know what's right and wrong? Well, look to God. God is always right. How do I know when I'm in a confusing situation if, if it's all going to turn out all right, if God is going to work through this and bring about good? Well, we trust that it will because God is righteous. God will bring everything out to its ultimate end. Everything God does, even everything that God allows, is for a specific purpose to bring Him glory and to bring people to himself. God is righteous. He is the standard of righteousness. And what he has spoken through his word, what he has inspired to be written down, is also righteous. His word is righteous. Because it's about him. And because it unfolds his glory and his righteousness. Now, let's compare that to human righteousness. Humans are incapable of living up to God's righteousness. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous. No one who has ever lived here on earth beyond Jesus himself is righteous. When you read Romans chapter 3, you see some awful descriptions of humanity. We see depravity. We see rebellion. We see unholiness and ungodliness and unrighteousness. And that's who we are apart from Christ. We're incapable of living up to God's righteousness. Only through Christ will God, will God declare a human righteous. Because Jesus paid the price of our sin. He was the propitiation. He took the wrath of God upon himself on the cross. He died the death that we deserved. Because of that, we can be declared righteous if we place our faith in Jesus. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. What are you saved from? You're saved from your sin. You are made righteous. You're declared righteous. You're legally justified before God. Only in Christ 
will God declare a human righteous? And then the process of growth begins. What God has given us positionally, now practically we begin to grow into our position as children of God. Children now who've been born of a righteous God, they begin to grow up into their righteousness. What they're born for, what they're reborn for. Through Christ we aim to do the right thing, the right way, for the right reason, according to God's standard of right. And I, I, I think it's all of that. We do the right thing for the right, in the right way for the right reason, according to the standard of God. How do we know what's right? Well, God has made it known. God has revealed it to us through His Word. And even as John said, I write these things to you, God chose to make Himself known through writing. He makes Himself known through creation and general revelation, but He also makes Himself known through specific revelation, and that's the inspiration of Scripture. All Scripture is inspired by God. God's given us a record that we might know what is right, that we can know Him And as we read his word, we get to know more about him. And so, as John is writing to help encourage readers and how they can know they're saved, how they can know they're in the family of God, how they can know they're going to heaven when they die, assurance of salvation is tied to this moral test of righteousness. There are three big tests that John is giving throughout this book, and he repeats them and gives us a different way to look at them. But he he gives us a, a social test. Do we love the people around us? It's a social test. If you love your brother, he also gives us a doctrinal test. Do you believe the right things about Jesus? And we we saw that earlier in chapter 2, and we're going to see it again. But he also gives us this moral test. One way to look at it, if we put these passages together with this moral test, is am I walking in the light? Am I keeping his commandments? Am I living like Jesus, the righteous one? Am I doing the will of God? That's the moral test. Am I doing the right thing for the, in the right way for the right reason according to the standard of God? That's righteousness. And this test keeps popping up in John because he wants to encourage his readers. He's written a gospel to say this is what it means to become a follower of Christ. Jesus came and he, he, he left the glory of heaven. He took on human flesh, the incarnation. He lived the sinless life and he died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the dead. And those who place their faith in him can experience salvation, a new heart, a new beginning, the new birth that John spoke about in John chapter 3 in the gospel. So it's the experience of becoming a follower of Christ. And this letter is the evidences now. How can you know you're saved? These are the evidence. He wants them to have assurance as they move forward in their walk with God. Are you practicing the right thing in the right way for the right reason according to the standard of God? Now, if you look back with me in verse 28 of chapter 2, the first point that I want you to see this morning is practicing righteousness aligns with our future. You know, John is saying, if you say you are a follower of Christ, if you say you are a believer, if you say you know God, then, and we fill in the blank with these tests, and he states these tests again in different ways. 
And so what I'm saying to you, practicing righteousness aligns with your future. Those who are in the family of God, their future is heaven. Their future is eternity with God. And we're growing into that. It aligns. Practicing righteousness aligns with our future. Now, again, in verse 28, And now, little children, abide in him. What a wonderful, wonderful phrase, abide in Him. What a great statement of walking with God, knowing God, meditating on His Word, praying without ceasing, meditating on His Word day and night, abide in Him. John had said that in his gospel, John 15, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it will be given to you. Someone who's walking with God knows the will of God and they can begin to petition God and have their prayers answered. They're abiding in him. Now little children abide in him, live in him, walk with him, enjoy him, know him. There's no better thing on earth than to abide in Him. So that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. One day we're going to stand before God. God is the righteous judge. I know in our world system, sometimes we're, we're not sure, well, is this judge... Is he doing the right thing? Is he legislating from a moral base, a constitutional base? Or is he just legislating according to culture or his own way of thinking? You know, we, we can have those questions at times. God is a righteous judge. And one day we're all going to stand before him. It's not necessarily a comforting thought. Heaven is comforting for us, but to know we're going to stand before a holy, righteous God and give an account of our lives, it's sobering. An atheist said one day, Christianity is a fairy tale for all of those who are afraid of the dark. And I love what one believer said back to him, atheism is a fairy tale for those who are afraid of the light. You see, we're, we're here because we were created by God and put here on earth by God. We were here, we were put here to know Him, to enjoy Him, to worship Him. And one day, we're going to give an account of our lives to Him. And there are those who would prefer not to even believe there's a God because if there is, there's accountability. There's light coming. There's, it's going to be shown on every man and woman and boy and girl's lives and how they've lived their lives. We will stand before a righteous judge. That's, that's our future. You, you have no choice in the matter. You were created by God and one day you will be judged by God. And those who are in the family of God, they will enter in. But will they... Will they be confident when they stand before God or will they shrink back from Him in shame at His coming? Because they've not practiced righteousness. We read on and we see in chapter 3 in verse 2, Beloved, we're God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. What a, again, a great verse here. He's, he's 
we're going to stand before him when Jesus comes back. And we're, we're all growing toward Christ's likeness from degree to degree. But one day, that work of becoming like Christ will be finished when we see him. You see, now we see dimly. We don't see as clearly as we could who God is. And it's, it's a good thing because if we saw him for all that he is, we would, we would dry up. We'd be annihilated. But we, we see him uh, dimly, so to speak. But one day we're going to see what real righteousness really looks like when we're face to face. We're going to see light. Light's going to be shown on us like we've never seen before. And we'll be like him because we'll see him then for who he is. All the flesh, all the sin, all the deception, all the distortion, it'll be completely peeled away at that moment. You see, that's one reason why we we must be in the Word every day so that we can see more clearly. God's revealed Himself and His Spirit will give us more light and we'll understand more the more time we spend with Him and if we abide in Him and if we read His Word and we pray, but we, we won't see Him clearly until we see Him face to face. We will be changed then because we'll see Him face to face, but we should be changing now. We should be growing into heaven. Again, I'm, I'm not ever saying you can earn heaven. It's a gift from God. But once you've received that gift, you should be growing into heaven. This life is preparation for the next. It shouldn't be such a stark contrast. It should be just a transition for the children of God. We see now, but not fully. When you see the light, when you see real righteousness, you'll want more, not less. Again, he, he says that at the end of verse 3. Uh, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. If your faith is in Jesus Christ and you're seeing him more and more and you're walking with him, you're going to become more and more like him. You're going to become more pure. You're going to be more, more holy. You're going to become more righteous. This purification, we could also say sanctification. Yes, justification is true. We're declared righteous because we've placed our faith in Christ. We've surrendered to his lordship. But this purification, this sanctification is this growth process. And it's not possible to be justified and not be growing and sanctified and being purified. He he says it here for us. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We have a goal, Christ-likeness. It's not a better-than-your-neighbor goal. It's not better than the next guy. It's, It's living up to the righteous standard of Jesus himself. Let me give you the second point this morning. Practicing righteousness not only aligns with our future... It aligns with our Father. Back up again into chapter 2 and verse 29. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. Practicing righteousness, if it aligns with our future, it aligns with where we're headed. Practicing righteousness, if it aligns with our Father, it's who we serve. We receive our Father's nature. We become more and more like Him. It's, it's part of 
family in general is the creation of God pointing to the family of God. Everything in creation points us to God. And even the family, children grow up and, and they become like their parents. And they take on a lot of the characteristics. Some of that's genetic, some of that is moral. We, we become more and more like our, our parents. And so spiritually, and let me back up, physically in a perfect world, wouldn't that be wonderful? God created humanity and said, be fruitful and multiply. You know why he told them to multiply? It wasn't just so there'd be a lot of people, but they were in the image of God, and the glory of God would spread all across this earth, and people would know him and glorify him, and his glory would spread, but sin entered in. And so think about a perfect world with God as our Father again, and if we're right with him, we're going to become more and more like him. He is righteous. That's, that's now in our nature. We've been adopted into his family. And those who've been adopted by the one who is righteous, they will practice righteousness. We've been born of him. We've been born again. Born the first time, we're born sinners. We're lost. We're headed for hell. We're born by, by nature, children of wrath. But God in his grace sent his son who would take that wrath for us. And those who place their faith in him they're born again. They're given a new start. We receive our Father's nature. We also receive our Father's love. 1 John 3, 1 is a wonderful, wonderful verse. I, I, if you've not committed it to memory, maybe do that, even with your family. See what kind of love. Some translations say, behold, gaze upon this, think about this, look deeply, drink deeply. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God? These people who are born by nature children of wrath, it's born sinners. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated for his, his love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That great gap between lostness and what God has done to make us his children he paid a tremendous price, the death of his son. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And, and it's like John saying, yeah, and so we are. Isn't that amazing that we could be children of God and the family of God and know him? You see, when we practice righteousness, it aligns with our Father's nature and aligns with his love, that love that consumes us, that love that compels us, that love that constrains us. It's the love of God. See what kind of love the Father has shown us. Practicing righteousness is the lines with that as you're overwhelmed and driven by that great love. Why do we do what we do in the family of God? Why do we love each other? Why do we try to do what is right it's not ever so that we can earn our way into heaven, but it's because we've already been given this gift of heaven and we want to give our all to him. We're constrained, we're compelled by this love of God. We've received it. And then practicing righteousness, it also aligns with our Father in the sense we receive our Father's response. What happens when you practice righteousness? Did you see that? Um, 
as you looked at the end of verse 1, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. You see, the world rejects the Father. We keep praying and we keep preaching and we keep sharing. But there are people who reject Him. And if we're His followers, there are people who are going to reject us. They don't understand why we do what we do. They don't understand why we're not willing to cut corners and cheat and do underhanded kinds of things. They don't know what, they don't understand why we're constrained to do the right thing and not just do the right thing, but to try to do it in the right way and not just do it in the right way, but to try to do it for the right reason, for the glory of God. You see, if you're practicing righteousness, they didn't, they didn't receive the Father and Many will not receive you either because you're trying to live your life in a righteous kind of way. Never in a self-righteousness, never in a condemning kind of way, never in a holier-than-thou kind of way because then we would violate the social test. We wouldn't be loving our brother like Jesus has loved us. But in a compassionate and a humble and a tender kind of way, we live out righteously because of our Father's nature, because of His love, and we should expect the world to respond to us like it has our Father. Don't be surprised by being misunderstood, even persecuted. But your loyalty is to your Father in heaven, and your life should align with Him. J.I. Packer in Knowing God, listen to what he said in this idea of righteousness. Have I learned to hate the things that displease my father? Am I sensitive to the evil things to which he is sensitive? Do I make a point of avoiding them lest I grieve him? I've oftentimes thought about a statement I heard some people want to get up to the edge of sin. You know, can I do this? Can I do that? How far can I go? And, you know, we're always trying to push limits. And that's the wrong question, isn't it? How far can I go? The question should be, how holy can I be? How much more like my Father in heaven can I be? Am I learning to love what He loves? Am I learning to hate what He hates? Practice in a righteousness aligns with our Father. And then the, the third Big idea this morning. Practicing righteousness aligns with our faith. You you see, it aligns with our future, with where we're headed. We're being prepared for heaven. It it aligns with our Father because we're it's who we serve. We're becoming more like Him. And it aligns with our faith because it's what we believe. What we what we believe will be seen in how we live. How we live will show what we really believe. Practicing righteousness aligns with our faith, what we believe. Look on in verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Now, think about this. He's saying those who practice, we still live in the flesh. We're going to sin. Back in chapter 1, he said, if you say you do not sin, you're a liar. We live in the flesh. It's not that we don't sin. It's that we've been delivered from the power of sin. God helps us with it. We're going to fall and we're going to sin, but we're not going to stay there and we're not going to live there. We're not going to practice a lifestyle of unrighteousness. 
Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. That's a life of, of sin. Someone who's living a life of sin and habitually in sin and a lifestyle, we have to say they, they, their father is not the father of all righteousness. Look, look what he goes on to say. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. So Jesus takes away sin. John the Baptist, John recorded this in chapter 1 in the gospel. He, he said from John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus takes away sin. He is what we would call the snake crusher. He is the sin bearer. He came, he took on human flesh, left the glory of heaven so that he could be that adequate, sufficient sacrifice for sin. He takes away sin. He came in the flesh and he goes on and says, and in him there is no sin. He did live a sinless life. If Jesus had sinned on earth, he would not have been an adequate sacrifice. He was the lamb without spot. He was the lamb without blemish. And so his propitiation, his, his satisfaction and payment for our sin was once and for all, but it's also ongoing in his intercession for us and that he helps us with sin. He takes it away once and for all, but his intercession me at the right hand of the Father means he is still helping us with our sin. Little children, verse 7, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus is against sin. He, he came to destroy it. He came to help us. He came to deliver us. He came that we might have forgiveness and live in the freedom that He gives, not in the bondage of a lifestyle of sin. You see, the devil steals, kills, and destroys. Many people are living according to their father, the devil. That's a pretty hard statement, isn't it? And when you read what Jesus says in John 8, in the Gospel of John, Jesus literally said to those who were not his followers, you are of your father the devil. He was a liar from the beginning, and you lie because you're like your father. You kill because you're like your father. You, you see, somehow we've, we've minimized sin rather than seeing it for what it is, that it is the work of the enemy, it is satanic, it is demonic, it is of the devil. And those who give in are following the devil himself. And those who live according to sin and live a lifestyle of unrighteousness, they have a different father than the righteous father God who is in heaven. Sometimes we, we look at sin around us and somehow we think we must be okay. We see sin uh, like murder and adultery and somehow we, we say, well, I, I've never committed a uh, murder and I've, I've never done some of these, what we would call big sins. But you know what Jesus said? He said, if you've become angry with your brother and you have hatred in your heart and bitterness, you're capable of murder yourself. In your heart, you've committed it. 
You see, I think if, if we could really grasp the, the power of sin and know that if, if nobody would ever find me out, if nobody would ever know and there would never be any consequences to this sin, what we're really capable of doing. Wrong place, wrong time. What we're really capable of. And those who are following Christ, thank God for the seed that He plants in us. The Spirit of God and the Word of God to help us on a daily basis. And those who are lost would be doing even much worse things than they're already doing if it wasn't for this general grace that our our nation has experienced for so many years of a cultural, even though it's cultural and nominal Christianity, there's still some values that are there. But it seems like that just continues to decrease. And so the world seems to be getting worse just because of there's less influence from godliness, less righteousness being lived out. See, Jesus takes away sin. He helps us with our sin. He's against sin. And verse 10, he gives assurance through sin. By this, it is evident. You see, these are the evidences who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. See, our assurance is not by our practice of sin, but our avoidance and our hatred of sin. You see, if you're a follower of Christ and you fall and you sin, you get angry with someone... The light of Christ shines. The Word of God that's been implanted in you. The Spirit of God whom you were given at the moment you received Christ brings light and conviction and you can't stay there. You see, if you can just live in sin, there's something wrong. It doesn't align. It doesn't align with our faith. It's not what the Word of God teaches. It's not what is true about Jesus. It is not true about the Christian life. You see, God wants us to have assurance. Some of you in this room today may be saved and you've been under conviction for certain things in your life that are unrighteous, ungodly. It's sin that you've let creep in, you've justified, you've minimized, and you've lost your assurance of salvation. I didn't say you've lost your salvation. I said you've lost your assurance because now... And that in of itself is a gift from God, isn't it? Because it makes us repent and turn back to our Father. I think sometimes that lack of assurance is the discipline that God gives us. And that's why sometimes we'll say, if you're, if you're struggling with your salvation, that's probably an evidence that you have salvation. Maybe God's calling you to grow in a certain area of your life. See, again, as long as we live here on earth, John's already said we're going to fall from time to time. But when we get trapped in a sin and we're not miserable and we're not feeling the the light of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of the Word, there's a problem. It's not lining up. You might say one thing, but the reality looks to be something much different. That's why God inspired this book. Let's, let's think through our catechism for just a minute. 1 John 5. Why did, why did God give us this? He wants us to have assurance. Read with me. Participate with me. Uh, in 1 John 5, 11 through 13. 
And this is the testimony. Whoever has the Son has life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's the kind of God we have. He wants you to have assurance of your salvation. He doesn't want you to wonder. He doesn't want you to lay down at bed at night thinking, well, am I really saved? He doesn't want you living your life from day to day. Am I really? He wants you to know. And he's given us these evidences here. Have Have you ever gone somewhere to get something and didn't have the documentation? You know how disappointing that is? You know, you go to get your license renewed or you go and you do something and there's there's 50 things on the list that you have to bring. And, you know, you leave one of them and you turn away and you have to go and you're waiting back in line. It's a terrible thought to be turned away. Now, think about this. What a terrible thing it would be to be at the entrance of heaven and not have a spiritual birth certificate. Because you won't be able to go away and come back. It's appointed unto men once to die and then the judgment. Are you in or are you not? Are you in the family of God or are you not? Here are the evidences. This whole idea of practicing righteousness. You see how it aligns with where you're headed? You should be practicing righteousness, your future. Do you see how it aligns with your Father in heaven, His nature and His love, and the same way others respond to Him? It should be lining up. You should be taking on His nature. Do you see how it aligns with your faith, what you believe about God and who He is and who you're becoming as His child? This life is preparation for the next. And so right now what God is leading us to do is to live like Jesus. Live in a righteous kind of way. Doing the right thing in the right way for the right reason. Do you do that at work? Do you do that with your neighbors? Do you do that at school? Do you do that at home? Doing the right thing in the right way for the right reason. According to this right standard from God. You see what kind of love the Father has given us? Starts with the new heart of surrender to that love. This morning, the altar is open. This is a place you can come for repentance, turning from your sin and turning back to God. This is a place to come to make commitments. This is a place of surrender. You can come and offer yourself before God at the altar of God. There'll be those of us who will be available after the service as well in guest central and around and here but we'd love to talk with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your love. Hard for us to even fathom what kind of love you have shown to us that we could be called your children. I pray for each man and woman, boy and girl here this morning that's not in your family yet. Lord, would you draw them to yourself this morning? Would you convict them of their sin? Would you allow them to see how much you love them and what you've done for them? And in this moment that they would turn and surrender everything over to you. And Father, for every believer that's here, would you turn your light on us right now? Search our hearts, know us. If there's any wicked way about us, any unrighteous way about us, Lord, would you convict us and help us to turn from it this morning? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand as we continue to worship how deep the Father's love for us.